This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann and I was uh, pleased to have a brief conversation with uh, George Carl. Uh, of course, he has his uh, new book, Furious George, with uh, Kurt Sampson and talks about his 40 years in the game as both a player and the coach. And we got a chance to talk a little bit about his playing career uh, with the Spurs, both in the ABA and the NBA in the late 70s. Also, his early coaching career, he uh, coached for uh, two seasons with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, who uh, in their first season were 2-19 and and managed to rally and make the playoffs with a world be free and uh and then golden state in the 87 and 88 seasons where they made the playoffs for the first time in 10 years with uh sleepy floyd joe barry carroll um Chris Mullen and uh, then uh, fell apart with trades in the next season and then of course uh, his years in Seattle with uh, Gary Payton, Detlef Schramm, Sean Kemp, uh, good runs in 92 and 93 including making the Western Conference Finals, then uh, losing early exits in uh, 1994 versus Denver and the Lakers in 95. Um, and then, of course, making the finals in 1996 and also got into uh, the Milwaukee years a little bit The uh, with Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, Sam Cassell, making the Eastern Conference Finals in uh, 2001. And then, of course, his years in Denver uh, with uh, Carmelo Anthony, Andre Miller, Marcus Camby, and then later, of course, Allen Iverson and Chauncey Billups later uh, coming in and, and the mellow years for that team, making the Conference Finals in 09. And then after Melo was traded, the... Uh, the more egalitarian team with Andre Miller, Andre Iguodala, Ty Lawson, Gallinari, Fareed, Brewer, those kinds of guys, and having a great season. Then, of course, the uh, the more recent stint that didn't go so well in uh, Sacramento. So got a few insights in the uh, conversation. We only had a brief window to be able to do, so we got as much as we possibly could in those 15 minutes. So hopefully you uh, enjoy the listen. Thanks. I uh, wanted to ask you about a little bit about your playing career. Um, how would you uh, how would you describe yourself as a player? Uh, I was probably a in the NBA from from a standpoint of pro ball. I was probably a, a hustle player, <coughs> point guard that liked probably defense more than offense and was better defensively than offense. I could make a good pass, good decision, pretty pretty efficient at times. Uh, but I think more than anything in pro basketball, I was more of a, a role player, a hustle player, a bench player that kind of came into the game and tried to shake the game up a little bit. 
How would you compare the uh, – you were, in the, of course, in the ABA for a, a couple of years, then the NBA. How would you compare the league in the 70s with today in terms of the style and quality of play? Well, you know, I think the ABA days is it played the game with the three ball. You know, there's an experiment of the three shooting the three ball, which the NBA they took, I think, the 1978-79 season was the first year we put the three ball in. And, and that's probably the biggest evolution in the game of basketball over the last 40 years has been the effect and impact of the ABA three ball. And then, of course, being in the NBA and now, now we've learned that, you know, analytics tell us to, you know, you've got to shoot the three ball. You know, if you're going to be a good team, you got to make threes. And I think in the same sense, we might be overdoing it a little bit. Uh, but I think the experiment of expanding the horizon of the three ball is where the game is going. You uh, you mentioned in your book that uh, you were the one player who uh, fought with uh, Pete Maravich. Uh, is, is there any more of a story behind that? Uh, no, Pete was Pete Maravich is actually from Western Pennsylvania, where I grew up, and he was before me a little bit. And I had the opportunity to play. I think I still was in the ABA days when we got in the fight. Uh, it was a, one of those exhibition games between the NBA and the ABA. And the ABA, of course, took those games probably a little more serious. And we wanted to make a statement to the you know, the old league that, you know, we can play with you. And so, you know, we might have been a little more in an exhibition game. We'd be, you know, we'd be be, be pumped up and ready to go. And I think I think we caught Pete on a bad moment. And, you know, we got into an elbow game and all of a sudden, you know, some fists threw and all of a sudden he was throwing to me, I was throwing to him. Were there any players that you particularly uh, enjoyed you know, playing with or playing against during your time in the league? Well, I think it's a great experience. You know, I got the honor to cover George Gervin every day in practice and him destroying me and seeing how a great offensive player can take a good defensive player and totally control him. Uh, you know, over the years, you guys, I, I've always enjoyed point guard play. You know, some of the guys, Andre Miller, you know, played for me. Chauncey Billups was a great leader and a great point guard. Gary Payton, of course, is in the Hall of Fame, and he, he was a reason for many, many wins in in Seattle. But I think even in general, I enjoyed Magic Johnson. I've enjoyed guys like Steve Nash and John Stockton and their performance. And Andre Miller was one of my favorite players I've ever coached. I think one of the great passers of all time. And I just enjoyed the point guard position. And I think as a coach, I, I relied upon having a, a really good point guard. When your uh, your first two stints in uh, the NBA as a coach in uh, Cleveland and Golden State in the '80s both were similar in respects that you you know were leading organizations that had been at a tough time. You led them to a season in the playoffs, and the next year things um, went south a bit. Uh, what did you, if any, what lessons did you learn in those stints that helped you succeed later in your career? Oh, you know, I think early in your career, you know, you're probably a little more on edge your ego is a little probably too big and 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 winning and losing you, you know you kind of fight you fight with everybody i think i probably understood after a couple episodes that you know an organization and a coaching staff and an organization and an ownership have to work together they actually got to be a team that does the game of basketball as a team and works well together and I think early in my career, I might not have been that character as much as I, I think I am now, even though I, you know, I, I, lo- I love my challenges 
And I think, you know, even as a young coach, I, I was lucky a little bit more than, than good. So you, you may be best known in your career as, uh, as as coach, of course, of the Seattle Supersonics in the 1990s with Gary Payton, Sean Camp, Detlef Schrempf, uh, Nate McMillan, and those guys. Um, and, and those teams are probably, you know, the, the what many NBA fans first think of when they think of the Sonics, probably you and, and those guys are on that list even more than, you know, the championship teams of the late seventies. Uh, how do you feel about, you know, being that important in, um, in Sonics history with them, you know, not having a team and, you know, with kind of the, the memories frozen in that time. It still pisses me off to be honest with you, man. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't believe the super Sonics in Oklahoma city right now. Uh, but you know, those are great years, you know. We I was there for six and a half years, maybe yeah, seven years, and average like someone told me, well, we averaged fifty nine wins a season, and you know had a couple of first round failures, but for the most part, went to the conference finals a couple of times, had some great playoff series against Utah, had some great playoff series against the Lakers, uh, and the year we went to the finals, you know, we beat Houston, the team that won championship for two years, and we swept them. And then probably maybe my favorite series of all time is the Utah series that went to a seventh game in the Western Conference in 96. And, you know, it came down to Sean Kemp got fouled with 28 seconds to go in the game, made, made two free throws. Carl Malone got fouled with, with whatever, uh, 10 seconds to go in the game, and he missed two free throws. It's pretty easy, uh, I think, for people to forget that, you know, the West was really stacked with some very good teams, you know, during uh, during the 90s. And, you know, the, the Sonics were among the best for most of that decade. I mean, you you, you know, you had the Blazers still going pretty well in the early 90s. Of course, the Rockets, the Jazz, um, the Spurs all had excellent teams for, you know, you'd be able to make that finals and make those uh, deep runs was a you know pretty stout accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, the Western Conference, you know, I think – you know, was evolving into that in the fast break conferences. And, and I think, you know, the West seemingly always has played a little bit faster than the East. And uh, there are some great teams in the West. And, you know, you forgot Phoenix in there. Phoenix won oh, yeah. the finals one year with Barkley and Kevin Johnson. And, and, and you know, Kevin Johnson and Charles Barkley and Dan Marley, that's, that's a pretty damn good basketball team. Absolutely. So you mentioned the, the playoff disappointments, of course, against Denver in 94 and then lost to the Lakers in 95. Uh, what, if anything, changed to help you guys reach the finals in 1996? Well, the, the upset in, in the first year to the Lakers was we played every game in Tacoma, which is almost we had an 82-game road trip. So I'll, I'll put a little asterisk behind that with an excuse. Losing to Denver was we just we we got fed up you know we got we got a little bit into the expectation game we had the best record in the NBA that year and you know we thought we were going to cruise control and you know Denver came back from a 2-0 deficit surprised us and and then in Game Five they played a great game that they beat us in overtime but you know we could have played better we should have won that game in three or four instead of it going five because in Game Five they played. They played a pretty special game. If you go back and look at that film, they were good. I mean, we we could have probably been better, but they were pretty damn good. So um, you moved on in the uh, in the early 2000s to the Milwaukee Bucks, um, made the uh, Eastern Conference Finals in 2001 with Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, Sam Cassell being the big three. Uh, of course, that that. Uh, Eastern Conference Finals uh, definitely one where a lot of tough calls that didn't go your way in that series. Um, 
you know, kind of what what happened there and why was the team unable to sort of follow up in the success the next season despite having a similar cast? Uh, I don't know if you remember now. We made a trade. I mean, we signed a free agent. We thought it was going to be the guy that got us over the hump, and he was the guy that kind of got us, you know, we kind of started falling apart a little bit. We signed Anthony Mason as a free agent. Anthony was a was an all-star the year before, uh, before with the Miami Heat. And we thought he was the guy, he was the piece we needed. And it did not work out. And, you know, the, you know, again, chemistry and character and, and being able to come together as a team. Uh, for whatever reason, bad coaching, you know, players are resenting each other, whatever the reason at that moment. That team, because of that trade, probably broke apart more than come together. You... uh you wrote about uh, when you when you come came to Denver in the you know mid two thousands. Of course, there was the challenges with uh, coaching uh, Carmelo Anthony, and you talk about the AAU culture of um, you know I think the AAU babies that as you refer to them with Kenyon and uh, Jr. Smith. Um, when when Iverson came to that team, how did you feel about him coming in and the challenge? You know, obviously both are offensively gifted players, but not necessarily committed defense, and that seems like you know, maybe not naturally the best fit together. How did you uh, uh, approach that combination? Well, I think you know, as a coach, our job is to build the system around the strengths of your team, and that strength, of course, with Melo and AI, two guys who can get thirty any night they play. You know, we had to be an offensive-oriented team. But, you know, my, my whole thing in that time with they, them playing together was I wish we would have had maybe a little better point guard play. You know, I just think having two scorers like that, having a control on them would have been helpful along with me and, and coaching the game. I think sometimes a little – I mean, a little higher class of point guard um, – we basically were playing for, I think, with backup point guards most of that time. And uh, when we finally made the trade of trading Allen Iverson for uh, Chauncey Billups, it was it was a joy because we we went right that year. We made that trade. We went to the, uh, of course, went to the Western Conference Finals. And then the next year was a year I thought we we were we, we were really ready to win. And that was the year I came down with cancer and and had to leave the team at, at the end of the season. So after um, after Mel left the team, you you were able to um, you, you obviously brought in some good players like um, Gallinari and Chandler. And you I think you wrote in the book that that um, this the season where you won fifty seven games, went thirty eight and three at home was the most fun of, in, that you had in your career. What in particular was so enjoyable ab- about that team? Well, you know, no one expected us. I mean, I think at one time in in the beginning of January, we were 17 and 15. In the second half of the season, our team just really came together. Uh, we were pretty unbeatable at home. And the altitude, the way we played, we played fast. We had a, a team of nine or ten guys that played every night. You know, we had kind of a rotating big man lineup, and you never knew who was going to finish the game. And I thought we trusted each other and believed in each other more than most NBA teams do. I mean, our guys, you know, they were good in the gym. They were good in the film room. They were good in preparation. Uh, and and no one expected us to have that type of year. They, they kind of like we played with a chip on our shoulders because no one gave us our due. And then right at the end of the season, Gallo tore, tore his knee up, had an ACL, and, and, and actually Ty and Kenneth Freed actually were hurt. 
a little bit going into the playoffs against a team called the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry. And that was the season where Steph had his kind of, you know, kind of coming out party. He had the, he had two or three really special games where he lit us up and they upset us in the first round. Yeah, you guys were kind of the darlings uh, at that point, just, you know, with an exciting play and everything. And then and the Warriors kind of stole that thunder a little bit and then kind of eventually kind of made that part of their identity. And, of course, have had the success that, um, that, that they've had. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Well, you know, I, I think, again, if we would have kept that team together and added one more shooter and stayed healthy, I thought we could have been a 50-win team for many, many more years ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question. Um, of course, your, your most recent coaching stop was in uh, Sacramento, and uh, a lot, you know, has been made about your relationship with Demarcus Cousins and you know the challenges of, of coaching him. Obviously, he's had a lot of challenges with a lot of different coaches. Um, do you think if you'd have had more time with him, you would have been able to kind of have the you know the trust that you needed to have with him, um, or was that just going to be a really you know, difficult challenge? All I know is I thought I thought Demarcus had a good year for us last year, and he's having a great year this year. So if I'm a little piece of him improving his career from a standpoint, I mean, right now you're seeing the best big guy in basketball, and his numbers, you know, his numbers are unbelievable. He plays all aspects of the game. I think the only one thing that you I think right now is going on in the NBA game is what what does the coach want from his center? And what I love about Demarcus right now is he does everything. He can play outside, he can play inside. He's going to be a playmaker for you. He's a pretty damn good defensive player in the pick and rolls. And uh, I think right now he, he's, he's blowing up right in front of us. Thanks again to George Carl for uh, being on the uh, program. Of course, exciting for us to have a uh, former MFA coach with so much experience to be on our program. And I do recommend uh, checking out his uh, book, uh, Furious George. I know there were a lot of, uh, much was made of some of the controversial statements that he made in the book, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff about uh, the NBA uh, uh, during the 80s and 90s and 2000s that I think is uh, insightful and worth uh, learning about. So uh, I, I do give that book a recommendation. So everyone, of course, uh, can check us out at the step back at fansided.com and you can uh, search for over and back on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, you'll probably find us there. So uh, follow us also on Twitter, uh, Facebook by uh, following at over and back NBA. So thanks for listening. We're back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.